Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. Join Scott Jones and Bill Bohr for an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics. Funny, contentious, outrageous, there's something for everyone. And now, your hosts. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Good to see you today, Scott. It is a balmy June day, and yeah, things are, you know... Things are happening, man. What's going on with you? Well, we should, first of all, we should give a shout out to our new uh, opening. Yeah, we thank you. That was a credit to uh, Reverend Ben DeHart, uh, who volunteered to, to wanted, since we were kind of uh, re-beginning, rebooting, wanted to give us an, a new intro. Um, we thank you to Jeff Carter, who did our old intro, and uh, yeah. and Ben uh, wanted to give us a little change of pace, or trying, we're trying the change of pace, and we hope you like it. Change is good. So, yeah. No, good. What's happening with me? This uh, was ending up a busy week. Um, gave a talk last night and have my sermon recorded. That's in the that's in the uh, you know that's in the can for for the vi- for the virtual service. So it's a weird dynamic having to get your sermon done by Wednesday or Thursday. But uh, and yeah, but I've got that done and just um, some social stuff this weekend. Um, had some got to have dinner with some old buddies. Uh, from the media days, which was fun. So did you see yet again, one of the headlines in the news was that the Trump organization could face criminal charges in the DA inquiry. When are they going to stop teasing us? Like, yeah. This is, <laughs> they just start arresting people, right? This is never going to happen. This it's is, never, this you, will be, like, this will be 2032 and the t- Trump will probably still be alive <laughs> eating Big Macs. And here I am. I was robbed. And, and we're, we're just going to, we're still going to be people. The DA is really getting close. The DA is getting <laughs> so close. Yeah. And, and President uh, Franco is still dead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is just, it is just interesting though that like, I feel like liberals, like we always take the bait, right? Oh, it's for real. Yeah. No. Yeah. Who was, I can't remember that one guy uh, on Nicole Wallace. Uh, former FBI agent during the whole Mueller, he was so excited every day. Is oh Mueller, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was that was the proverbial letdown. Yeah, Frank, yeah remember the, the Mueller days? Yeah, remember the Frank Guzzi, Guzzi, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he was days. always. Oh, I tell you, you've got Bob Mueller on this. It's all gonna. He's gonna save America. <laughs> Just Which it, it turns out maybe not. yeah, a, a wonderful servant, a guy who served the country may have been. Uh, uh, well, like, how old was he? I don't know. He wasn't quite up to his old self. It sounds like. Put your hope not in princes or princi- or principalities and powers, uh, uh, or so, former directors of the FBI, or former directors <laughs> of the FBI. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's uh, so we've got that got going, going on. on. And, might have uh, an inf- maybe an infrastructure bill. It's exciting. Yeah. Yep, um, yeah. Here's a good one. All right, if you had to, if you had to choose one of these two people to trust your life with, would it be Mitch McConnell or Joe Manchin? There we go. Who would you would you who would you pick? See, that's tough because I know where McConnell stands on things. Like yeah. I know, like you know, I know what McConnell's going to do. Manchin, as we said before last year, he's always that he's he, he's there when you he's he's always there when you don't need him. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Manchin. I mean, I think Manchin kind of gets off on this. I think Manchin. Oh, I'm gets sure. Off Absolutely, the, he is. Yeah. He's he is relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's it's kind of. I got I got asked at a dinner party the other night. Um, two things that I just I didn't I didn't didn't respond with words. One was um, 
what I felt about what the American Catholic bishops did, and then also what I vote for Joe Manchin. And uh, people just got a grimace as my response. Would you vote for Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin as a senator or if he ran for president? Uh, not for president. Um, just if he was your senator, if you yeah, were I would vote. I would, I would probably vote for him as a senator. I might not, I might not support him in the primary, but if he was my, if he was the candidate in the general election, I probably would. Sure. Interesting. What did yeah. people in the room that you were asked about would they have voted for Joe Manchin? Uh, one of them would have. Wow. So there, so there, there's a, a distaste in the air for there was. Well, there was, um, there was a diversity of political, uh, political opinion around that table. I won't say this. I won't say this. Republicans want to win more than Democrats do. They seem to. I think Democrats value purity. Republicans value winning. Right. And so that I think is, is one of the things that's different. And I'm not saying which is better, worse, or should be normative or whatever, but it's the thing where like Trump can be president. Who's not a conservative has all these sort of hosts of flaws, but, but Al Franken has to go immediately. Right. Right. Al must go. Like it's, it's, it's these kinds of, um, so it's it's just interesting. I think Republicans, uh, I, I, Mansion would get put on the leash. <laughs> well, there's, there's. A, I, I will say this. There's a. I think also the Democrats, rightly or wrongly, uh, think the history is on their side. They think the uh, trajectory of history is going their direction. Uh, the Republicans are making history. They're, they say we're going to make. We we have to do what we have to do. Uh, and. Uh, they probably both are looking at the same demographics, but I don't think anything is inevitable. Um, good or now, bad. Let's look at the Weimar Republic. Yes, I was going to say exactly. That's that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I had. For progressive. Yeah, I, I, had, I have the same thing. By the way, again, I've plugged this before, but if you have not watched Bob, Bar, yeah, Babylon Berlin on Netflix, um, it's uh, that exactly. It deals exactly with that time period. It's really a well done. Well done I have thing. such a tough time with subtitles. Hmm? I, I just the subtitles are brutal. I want to read I, I do, but you know, watch it's, something. You know, the thing about it is you, you need to watch subtitles because the English the English part of version is not the same actors, and the actors are so good in Babylon Berlin. My two probably my two favorite shows on TV are both subtitled right now. I like uh, there's a great Danish program called Rita. It, it's a it's an it's one of the best things on TV, and uh, it's a uh, Danish with subtitles. It's about a very broken teacher uh, who. Uh, yeah, it's it's really well done. So, anyway, that's that's my uh, TV plug. Have you been back to the movie? Have you been to the movies yet? In in a theater yet? I have not, but I did walk by a theater the other day and just I missed it so much that I bought a tub of popcorn and took it home and ate it. <laughs> movie theater popcorn. I just watched shows on my iPad. Yeah, no, I haven't. I, I have I, not I, been to. Although I'm not really worried. I mean, I you know, like I'm. I was vaccinated really early in the Moderna trial, and so I'm right. pretty. And you know, I mean, it's interesting. And we're kind of meandering a little bit, as we often have been known to do in the beginning of sure, episodes. Yeah. But you know, I think one of the things that has, the le- has where the left has done the country a disservice is by saying to people, kind of contra the CDC, even if you've been vaccinated and stuff, you still should distance. You should still wear masks. Because it sort of disincentivizes people from getting vaccinated, and I think, and, and a, it's not, and it's also not in accordance with what the science is telling us, right? And right. so, I, I think that like people, you know, I, I think as we get higher vaccination rates, you know, I mean, things should be able to open up, and you should be able to exercise more freedom and 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 things like that. And so that's, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah. that that's. And I think it's a sort of politicization of of the issues 
that's that's over dramatized and just skews reality. No, I, I think you're, I think you're right about that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a sense where the same impulse that drives the right is it, it drives the left as well. This kind of my whatever my my feeling driven. You know, I may I may say okay, I you know I trust science. All right, and 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 I think you know that the left certainly you know was more apt to listen to what the CDC was saying and all that stuff. But then, like you said, the irrationality takes over. I mean, I was I was at a dinner uh, last week uh, pretty, with pretty educated people around the table, but um, this issue came up, and uh, I ended up not saying much because it because it became it's it became well you know. Yes, they say this, but I'm going to wear. I'm still wearing a mask, and they don't know. And I know people who died from who or got you know died from COVID after having the shot and things like that. And so um, you know, you know, you can say, well, I, you know, and I know some. I know somebody was struck by lightning as well. Um, actually, I know multiple people struck by lightning. Um, so that means we should never go outside. I, you know, there's a sense where I think. You know, the we've talked about it. we did we've done episodes on this. You've interviewed people in your other podcast about this idea of how we aren't driven by reason. That, no. you know, we we're not <laughs> people are not driven by reason, and that that's not left or right. Uh, we just kind of pick and choose um, our, our our reasonableness sometimes. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Vanity Fair. Somebody sent me an article from Vanity Fair, and they did a pretty long expose, like. Just putting together all the evidence for the idea that this came out of a lab, right? Out of the Wuhan Corona lab. Right. And, you know, Bill Maher said this a few weeks ago. He's like, I don't know why if you're a conservative, it, it, it can come from a lab. And if it's a liberal, it had to come from a bat. Why can't liberals think it came from a lab? And part right. of the article basically said it was Trump's kind of racist rhetoric right. that played into this. And you felt like if you're a liberal, if I, if I acknowledge that this could have come from the lab, then I'm playing into this, you know, Trump's thing, the Kung flu virus and all this stuff, like this kind of racist rhetoric that Trump was using. Right. And so it's like, well, yeah, I mean, but like, just because Trump said it, doesn't mean like it couldn't be true or the same thing it's you know it's just because right. liberal said it doesn't mean it's false you know or something right exactly where yeah. you know you but it, it, it was a kind of interesting piece and i don't know like i mean look i don't know if it was from natural causes because cl climate change is going to ca cause more animal-based pandemics oh sure ecosystems sure. get stressed so that could be but also if it's from a lab we want to help them get better locks on the doors or you know like well, they, they, you, you know like this is this is important well I, I was actually talking to a scientist friend of mine who does medical research and he, he thinks it's probably someone that screwed up he said there, it was not a weaponization you know it, it was he says he says that, you know this is if it, they would not it has no it has no signs of being okay we you know a purposeful leaking of the virus but it feels like somebody screwed up in a lab yeah and John that, Stewart, John Stewart yeah. was on Colbert, and he said he came out basically on Colbert saying he thought it was it came out of the lab, and Colbert was apoplectic. I mean, he just he didn't even know what to do. Like, what? I mean, he didn't. And, and Stewart was like, "Look, it's the Wuhan clinic, right? The Wuhan coronavirus research. If we had a chocolate spill in Hershey, where would we look? Oh, well, in the chocolate factory. Yeah, and and you know it." It's it is possible that the screw up happened here and somebody you know I mean it, sure yeah I mean it could the fact that yeah that that's where it's called so it, in in some levels and uh, you know we uh, 
you know, the you know the governor. I think the I I might be wrong about this. Uh, I was about to ready to. I was about to merge my facts. I was about to say, you know, a guy's coal company pollutes, you know, the water system for large segments of West Virginia, and they and they elect him governor. So, you know, <laughs> but he he killed he his company killed people in a different way. I think I I got the wrong people there. But uh, but you know, again, yeah, I yeah, that's to me in terms of that's the thing that really drives you know crazy that it becomes the politicization of of truth or the um you know the marketing in other words what you know that your position you know whatever your your my your preconceived notion already is therefore you know it doesn't matter what else um it doesn't don't get don't get let facts get in the way of what i already feel and know you know? yeah and the truth is oftentimes frustratingly anti-ideological yeah no no you're right and that's that's probably that's pro- i think that's problematic i mean that's uh yeah, there's a new book. I just got it in the mail today. Uh, the Constitution of Knowledge by Jonathan Rauch. Is that how you pronounce his name? R A U C H. Yeah. Um, have, do you know him? Have you interviewed him? Uh, Jonathan, I have. N- he's wait. at the Brookings. He's at the Brookings Institute. I have not. I do not think I've interviewed him. Yeah, interesting book. He and they're kind of touting um, the George Packer book. In this book together with the George Packer book, uh, you know, is is they're kind of they're both writers for the Atlantic dealing with the current political situation. Um, and the last great, the last best hope, I think, is what uh, Packer's book. Actually, I just gave it to my son for birthday. So we're going to read each of these each of these books and then switch. But this 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 whole notion of whether you're talking about alternative facts uh, on the right or whether you know you're talking about kind of cancel culture on the on on the left, you know, where there's a sense where um, we we it's a we 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 don't want to just criticize you if you don't have the right position or you say the right thing right. or so, somewhere in the history of your life. You you were uh, less than careful with your social media posts. That that's that's that gets you canceled. It's sort of like what you said with uh, Al Franklin. Um, you know, Al Franklin's behavior was boorish, um, but if boorish behavior made you um, not eligible for office, that would take out um, almost all of Congress and several of our most recent presidents. Yeah, yeah, and you know, not you know, not um, and some clergy too. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Lots of us, right? Everybody, and right? Some, some some evangelical university presidents. Yeah. Well, I think he did. He did get canceled, didn't he? Get canceled. That's true. He did. He did get. Uh, <laughs> he did. Uh, you know, it's funny. I know someone who's a pretty close friend and went to uh, law a close school. friend of close friend of, of Jerry Falwell Jr. Jr. and right. said the guy was not at all like this, or even just a bad guy or an angry guy in law school. That he was, and he wondered if it was the power that he's like, he said it was just, he was a really decent guy and was not like, like who this guy became. He said it was just so out of character with this guy he knew. Now, again, he wasn't his best friend or anything, but they were friendly. Um, yeah. And he said it was just a different person. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I find Jerry Falwell Sr., his, uh, I find his politics abominable and harmful to the country. I think he was a straight arrow though when it came to I think he was not he didn't he was not a one of those mega ministers that got really wealthy from being a pastor. That, you know, but his son certainly so went a different direction. Uh, but yeah, so it's that's in it. But this yeah, I think the sense where well you and I have said this before. I mean we we're we are in the sinking ship of the enlightenment. We both there's a lot about it that we we like and uh 
And both sides are shooting torpedoes at our boat, my friend. Oh, no, absolutely. I think that's... And, you know, I mean, we've probably said this before, but I think what's interesting today, too, is that the right has weaponized postmodernism in a way. Like, yeah. the, like, like Trump does it instinctively, like alternative facts and these things like he just doesn't he doesn't understand the philosophy and stuff like that but but bannon and steve Mo, these guys do and and i think yeah. what's interesting is in an effort for to and in a laudable and i think good effort to sort of talk about epistemically how we need a broader base and, and we need to make spaces for for women people of color different cultural right. frameworks and how knowing is is a complicated enterprise and right. and you can there can be hegemony that's unhelpful i, I think that that kind of those hor- like that experiment got out of the lab, so to speak. <laughs> Forgive right. the tort- <laughs> metaphor, but, but then it, and you see when it's in the hands of like of of Trump and people that. Right. And so what's funny is now you see liberals going back to old school objectivity. Well, the facts and science and this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it's sort of like well, I mean, you know, this is what happens. I mean, you know, this is this is what happens when you let when you know like this this framework for theoretical reasoning gets in the hands of other people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and how much of it's how much of it drives the current theological climate? All right. For for instance, good uh, segue. Good segue. You like that? Well, my, yeah, part I of my thing. I, I did like that. I did. Yeah, like that. I still have. Well, nice you know, transition. Instance, I was. I gave a talk last night, um, and it was uh, we, we part of what we did. I just did a slide review the five points of fundamentalism, and uh, and you know one of them is substitutionary view of it. Atonement. I guess that's why we sing. That's why we used to sing "Power in the Blood" with gusto. But um, but I said, you know, the trouble with the fundamentalist is that they treated that as the only view of the atonement. Okay. The trouble, I think, with what's in style now in some well-intentioned theological circles is pretending that the substitutionary view of the atonement is not in the Bible. Um, right. 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 Which, by the way, it is. It's kind of reminds me of. Reminds me of uh, I was part of a Jewish Christian dialogue one time, and and uh, it was always fun when when my colleagues would make pronouncements. Like I, I had one uh, um, one person uh, on behalf of the entire Christianity apologize to our Jewish colleagues for everything Christians have done wrong, and uh, and you know the the, the the Jewish scholars across looked a little bit bemused, um, and and I turned to him and I said, "Well, thank you. That that fixed everything." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for speaking on behalf of all of us. But uh, I remember one time when I was sitting, we were in a meeting, and, and one, 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 and he had a Southern accent, and he boldly said, "And we are committed never ever to interpret any text in a supersessionist manner again." And to which I asked, "What about the supersessionist text? Are we just not going to read those?" <laughs> no, even though they were, even though they were written by, you know. We, we might as well call them Messianic or Jews that thought that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. Nonetheless, um, it's it. This uh, I think bad theology doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's some Bible that could back them up. <laughs> so, you know what's great about you know what's great about Judaism? It's the only non-supersessionist Abrahamic faith. Like you got Christianity kind yeah. of supersessionist. We've got the complete re- revelation over Judaism. Then you got Islam coming along. We've got the supersessionist revelation over Judaism and Christianity. Judaism said, "Hey, we don't need to supersede anybody. We were here. We had the real estate first. <laughs> well, that was, <laughs> that's right. Well, like what Maimonides one time wrote that he 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 saw Christianity and Islam as a blessing because it, it is a way that um, 
the majority of the world is becoming be- believing in the one God. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a that's a generous. Way and the Rosenzweig echoes that in the Star of Redemption. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's actually a fascinating book and uh, very difficult so guess, book. But. Does the Rastafarians count as well? They kind of they, they musically they, they made a lot of contributions. <laughs> Well, they also in the pharmaceutical in the realm of pharmaceuticals. Exactly, it turns so out they're right. They tu- everybody agrees with them now. The state of uh, state of Connecticut just went along, just decided to agree with the rest of. Hey, 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 you know what? You know, if it's good enough for Marley, it's good enough for me. Um, I guess so. There we go. That should be a that should be a Bible course. Exactly, exactly. If it's good enough for Marley, it's good enough. <laughs> I may use that. I may open my worship with that this week. Uh, I like that Buffalo yeah. Soldier. Um, Okay, so uh, so we've gone on pretty long on our intro, which is fine. We're going to talk a little bit about God for a few minutes, and Who? you wanted to, God. Oh, God. Yeah, you right. down with G O D? Yeah, you know me. Um, I like, excuse me, G dash D. G dash D. Hashem. <laughs> so you kind of wanted to talk a little about, which I thought was interesting, about a little bit about our chronic anxiety in our culture yes, and, right. and 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 could the fear of god um actually could it could a good old-fashioned reboot of the fear of god address some of the issues that we have which is i mean i think is incontestable that like we are just a chronically anxious culture and what's interesting is it's you know pinker wrote that book um enlightenment now and i mean it like pinker is you know there are problems with him as a thinker and he's reductionist and stuff but the basic point of the book is this is the greatest time to be alive on any yeah. score Right. Like it's health expectancy, violence, um, racial progress, everything, like everything. He's not saying everything's perfect and that we don't have real strides to make. But he's like, basically, if you look at this point in time in world history, you, you, you would you would not choose any other. If you could choose exactly. yeah. when to be alive. Um, this is especially if you're in um, the, the industrial West. Right. And. Right. And, and, and arguably the crown jewel of the industrial West in some ways. I mean, although you could argue, I mean, Richard Rorty once said, was asked on the podcast Entitled Opinions, what should philosophers do today? And he said, well, basically the only thing, interesting project I think is philosophers should try to make most of the world more like the United States and the United States more like Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> and Harris goes, well, certainly there's more important work. No, that's just about it until a suitcase <laughs> goes off in New York and then they'll be in the democracy. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about cynicism but now but i mean you and the united states is, is is again among you know there are things that are wrong with our healthcare system and other things but basically it's the most prosperous place to live arguably in in this amazing time to be alive yeah and yet we're chronically anxious i mean it's not yeah. like the, the these blessings materially governmentally culturally have not made us a sort of more grounded or steady people in fact you could argue they've done the opposite well you would argue that the anxiety the irrational anxiety is putting all that stuff in jeopardy i mean you know in other words you you could say there's this you know whether it be you know the i need to get mine before you know before everyone else gets their share or if it's be you know the the in the name of um, in the name of preserving liberty, uh, our democratic society is is being undermined. Uh, you know, in the name of liberty, uh, the Congress was breached. Uh, people are being disenfranchised. You know, and and. And and what's interesting about it is, uh, you know, there is a large thing of the population that no longer feels bad about that. I mean, doesn't care about that. Their their position because of because of their anxieties and fears, they're willing to you know risk the whole thing for 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 theirs. And you know, you know, in other words, I've heard people. You know, I remember having a conversation thirty years ago, thirty plus years ago, with someone 
at Princeton who said that we will we will prevail, our position will prevail. And I said, well, what if that drives over half the people out of the denomination? It goes, it doesn't matter. And 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 actually, it did. That's kind of that actually how that that that's how the scenario worked out. Now, again, regardless of whether you agree or disagree, that. The, whether it's you know the anxiety that I have to get my way or my gosh they're going to take what I have or whatever um, and then you, you just throw that into now again I I would say that you know um, I mean fear you know let's take the fear of violence uh, it, you know statistically you can you you know we are a, 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 a more we are one of the most violent of the Western countries but the response to that has been People buying more guns. You know? There's a sense where I'm more of destabilizing the, the, the thing. You know, so yeah, I was part of what I was, and I was also thinking about you know the part of the problem is that if you are if there's no, I mean, if God is on your side and and there's no inherent um, belief that you're not really you know that you're not worthy of what you've been given by God and or or that you could get on cross purposes with the divine and there are repercussions for that. No one really, you know, it's funny. No one really feels that way because, you know, let's say people who still believe like there might be a place of judgment. You, they don't act. It's not like this, the uh, 18th century where the people who were most terrified of God's were the people who believed in God the most, right? The people had the anxiety were the people who, you know, uh, were baptized but not ready to join a church because they were afraid that they would be unworthy. I mean, Jonathan Edwards' wife, for instance, I don't think she, you know, I don't I don't think she fully joined the church until she was like in her 20s or something like that. So she was a daughter of a minister, I believe, as well. So, I mean... If you do that, do you not have to tithe? Like, if you put off the membership? Like, because that's a, not a bad strategy. Do it in the name well, of piety. Well, well, I'm not think- joining because I'm afraid of God. And, you know, you'll get my pledge card once I, I develop sufficient um, that's right. confidence. Well, you didn't get to be an elector until you did that, until you joined the church, right? Initially, you were an elector. That's the whole the election, your elector. You have to be a member of the church, so we know you're a member of the elect. But I think that I think that's right. I believe that's not my it's not my century, but I think I'm right about that. But I, you know, I I, I do. I, part of me, I, part of it was just it was out of the lectionary reading a couple of weeks ago, and Paul says because we know what it is to fear God, we. We convince others of the faith, and it's a, it's in the middle of that beautiful passage about we no longer look at anyone from an earthly perspective, and then this idea that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's powerful. That whole, I mean, that Second Corinthians four through five is it's a lot of powerful and beautiful stuff in there. But in the middle of it, of it is because we know what it is to fear God, we persuade others, and. I've just, I, and I also have quoted this before, but when we were talking about this before, that, that passage in this book, it's a great book about the uh, Comanche Wars. And the Mexicans were trying to get uh, folks to come in, settle in what was the territory of Texas at that point, because they were looking for buffers. They wanted the Comanche killing other people other than them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and, and this, the author wrote, it writes this in this book. He says, and those, the Calvinist Baptists were so afraid of God, they weren't afraid of anything else. <laughs> and, and that's kind of stuck with me because there's a certain kind of, there's a certain kind of truth to that. I mean, I, I've even, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, our God will, our God will deliver us. But even, even if God doesn't, we will not bow yeah. down. And I think there's a sense where um, 
that there's a and, and I you know I put some a couple maybe a month ago when I was working on a sermon I put something on Facebook and I and I loved all the corrections I got just asking this question about fearing God uh, and everybody uh, told me what the Greek really meant or, or the Hebrew really meant I, I really appreciated all that lexicanary le- lexicon work which you know certainly I don't have at my disposal. Um, how, how many of those people you think went to uh, went, went, went to the Google machine? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know that I was. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I probably would batch my, although my Greek's rusty. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I was being uh, reprimanded by any Greek scholars at that point. But nonetheless. But I just I asked the question. I mean, it's like Dylan, you know, that when that uh, those two albums that Dylan was a Christian, uh, you know, <laughs> by happy happy birthday, Bob. Uh, but you know, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it feels like you're gonna have to fear something as well. Um, and I sometimes I just, I just wonder about that in terms of if we would if our if our if our theology is too small. I mean, that old J.B. or J.B. Phillips book. Your God is too small. I, I wonder about that a little bit because you know, I mean, I you know, we have people, all, you know, we have people all the time making pronouncements, you know, that you know, the substitutionary atonement, you know, God is not a warrior, and we're we're not, we're going to do away with all this kind of awful, you know, imagery of the angry God, and uh, we uh, people have declared there is no hell, and uh, uh, you know, obviously they've not been to some of the places I've been to, but uh, uh, but you know, again. You know, it's funny, you know, you and I have talked about this before. We have theological sympathies for universalist, uh, and we hope God is one. But right, I, right. But I'm not sure where all these people are getting their inside information about the nature of eternity or the nature of God. I, I find the Bible disturbing. I find a, I find there's a lot of images of God there that I don't like, that are troubling. But I'm not sure it's in my best interest to just merely um, whitewash them away or say, well, that's not really, that's not, that's not really what's going on. I, I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms and the Psalms are really crude. I mean, they're, they're, they're militaristic, they're, you know, propaganda for the monarchy, uh, they're calling for revenge, and, and yet uh, they're really honest. And I think um, there's something about the disturbing nature of scripture and the uncertainty of who God is yeah, that doesn't mean we can't trust in the revelation of love and, and care. But um, yeah, I, I, that's, I just wonder if we have maybe, um, in the spirit of the age we live in, just decided to change something that, that's not ours to change. Well, and also I wonder also how much the the so-called sort of left hand of God or the experience of, you know, divine wrath is, is something that is subjectively rooted in the human condition, but really rooted. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we've all had these experiences where you've done something to somebody and they don't know it, right? Or you've, and you're, you you have to tell them or something. And their gaze of friendship or love actually is searing to you because you're alienated from that, from them. Right. And that their gaze hasn't changed, but you're where you are existentially, personally, psychologically has changed. And then it's really different. Like that gaze looks really different. Like it, it's searing. And I wonder how much of um, something like the wrath of God is really what what the love of God feels like when humans are in a state of alienation from the divine. Well, right. And I think the failure to understand, I mean, if we don't understand that part of us are, there's a there's always this tension of alienation. In other words, if if I was in perfect relationship with God, then, you know, 
uh, you know, in a few years they'd be naming churches after me, right? I mean, none of us are in a perfect state of God. Those, and and by the way, the guys and gals that they named churches after weren't either, right? But so there's a sense where by taking taking away that tension, I think I have attempt. I, there's a there is a greater temptation for me to rationalize and justify my behavior, and also to if you know, again, uh, it's kind of like. Who are your your favorite or your most effective teachers or professors or coaches? Were probably people you had a little fear of that you that you weren't that you weren't overly familiar with. Um, the I remember the teach there was a teacher that wanted everybody to to, to love him, and not, and none of us ultimately respected him. Um, and and I'm not I'm not saying that that's how the divine the divine isn't limited to our categories. You know that you have to be either the good cop or the bad cop. But I do think there's a sense where, and I've told this story a hundred of times. But uh, recently, my oldest son and I were just re- recollecting about his adolescence, and uh, he's you know a great dad and a, and a, a good man, a good father, a good husband. Um, and his particular year in high school, there were a lot of tragedies, a lot of uh, accidents, suicides, even murders. You know all this crazy stuff was happening suburban Philadelphia. And probably over 90% of his graduating class had been to something in our youth group. And then on top of that, I was involved in the community responses. I did some, I did funerals for the accident victims, for the murder victims. Um, so it was very, very present in his world. And so I knew, I knew all his friends and I knew, you know, and I was a presence in that high school. And, and he said, my friends loved you. And it, and I was I was proud of that, but it was also so hard because you never yelled at them. You know, I sometimes wished I could be like those my friends in the relationship you had with them. And I said, but but Ben, the reason it was different because I loved you more, and I and you needed my toe firmly placed between the cheeks of your hindquarters frequently because you didn't do your work and you you were trying to go always go to you you tended to take shortcuts a lot. And he goes, yeah, you're right. But see that. So I know, you know, I who am evil know how to give good gifts to my children. Is there something like that going on with the divine that that the the stern side of the divine or whatever that whatever you want to call that, that experience of it, whatever it turns out to be on the other side, maybe is precisely because God takes us more seriously than we take. Our- yeah, there's this wonderful story Elizabeth Elliot tells. I think she was in New Zealand or something. And she's watching a shepherd, a guy, a sheep farmer dip this sheep in this kind of antiseptic stuff, right? That would protect it from mites and right. things. And the sheep just looks mortified and is braying and all this stuff. And, and she said, you know, what I realized was the shepherd was trying to save the right. sheep. Yeah. But the sheep thought, he's trying to kill me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this beautiful image of like this it's almost like also like with 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 baptism i always think you know when i you know when i would baptize infants i'd say like you're you're doing this radical thing because you're giving up your child as as you're you're making your child um a brother or a sister but the yeah. only way in, in that fraternity is through death and resurrection and so it's right. it's it's this like it's the most awe inspiring I think and the problem like you know I love the way the Eastern Orthodox do infant baptism right submerge it's not cute right it's not cute you're dipping three times it's not cute that's like, not cute they're screaming spitting water grandmothers are having heart attacks oh yeah but that's great I mean that's great every, yeah. that's all baptism right this this kind yeah. of thing where like there's not life without death right, right. Like, the, like death comes before life 
um, yeah. in, 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 at least in the Christian spiritual journey, I think that's the death is the gateway to life. And so these things, and oftentimes, you know, we don't, um, uh, our capacity to embrace death and finitude is just, it's just mortifying. It is more. And I think the other thing too is, all right, I, everyone who wants to do away with the, and again, I'm not, you know, again, I, I'm not presuming, I'm not saying that I know, all right. I'm just, I'm just saying that I take the biblical witness. The biblical witness still is the raw material of my faith. And I, and when I read something that disturbs me, I, I don't, I, I don't, and I think it, it's not our first, it shouldn't be our first reaction to try to explain it away or, or cancel. Let's not cancel parts of the Bible we don't like, because it might actually be, it's kind of like the literary theory. It's, it's the unsaid things are often the most important things, the silence between the lines. And, and you know, many of you may say, well, I, you know, I believe only in a loving God who, you know, would never do anything harmful or never would hurt his children. Well, um, if you have any kind of experience, if you have any kind of relationship with the divine, then you have experienced long, long spells of divine silence. You've spent, you have spent months, maybe years without consolations. So to be part of, to have a relationship with living God means you've, if you have a real relationship with God, you've walked through the periods of time of not knowing that God existed, of misery. Now, if God lets us go through that, and 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 that's 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 the experience of every person who's trying to be serious about the faith, or even just trying to have faith, then I, that's not a particularly pleasant experience. But it all the all the all the masters, all the fathers and mothers of the faith talk about that's precisely you know that's precisely where the work gets done. So you know there is whether you want to call that the shadow side of God or whatever, it gets back to you like the sheep you know um but I, I do think that that it's precisely and it's 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 precisely when we when we can embrace that which is unknown about the divine that's the mystery the all you know all in the classic sense of the word all which includes a little holy terror i think then i think we're open for those moments when the visitations happen you shared a great clip with me the other day i love that clip you should share <laughs> that with everybody oh yeah uh so there's this um show called rev and this it's about this anglican priest and um He's, you know, he's like having an affair with a secretary or something. His parish is going, going terrible. He's and he's marching across up on Good Friday to put it on the top of the hill of this British city. And he just starts. He starts. Uh, he starts like he's just he's he's exasperated, right? I mean, he's, he's just he seems broken. The image seems. Yeah. Like, and he has a scar on his head. He's got a cut on yeah. his head. Oh God! He's, he's a, like, and he starts dancing and he starts singing Lord of the Dance. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, the little, you know, I dance with Peter and I dance with John. And he's dancing, and then God appears, and it's Liam Neeson in this <laughs> unmatching tracksuit, drinking a morning beer. Man, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if Liam Nielsen is God, there's a scary side to that guy. I'll tell you oh, that. Oh right. God! Oh yeah, just yeah. watch Taken. Just yeah, watch Taken. Uh, <laughs> he's coming for you, Liam Nielsen. Liam Nielsen, God's coming for you. Oh yeah, if you mess up. Yeah. <laughs> But um um yeah uh you know then he um he basically uh just says why just stop dancing I like your dancing <laughs> and then he, <laughs> he sits him down and it's like at first it's the worst God he's like I've learned a lot of things in this life you buy cheap you buy twice <laughs> never parachute into an area you've just bombed <laughs> and, then, and the priest is like thanks this is very helpful. <laughs> but then he just looks at him and says, you know, Adam, you know, I know you and I'm here. And it's just interesting because there's they this. They say, I'll always be here, right? He said, yeah, I'll always, always be, be here. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's this beautiful thing and then he disappears and he's right. just saw uh, like so i don't know there's this um picture of the divine there that's that's surprising right yeah. by the way bill can i can we conclude that i want to so i'm sitting five feet away is a copy of jensen's systematic volume one and i want to read something from it yes please do that's a great way here to we end go. this here we go i'm gonna i'll be right back in three seconds all right here we go it literally was like well maybe five feet away but <laughs> so Jensen, it, in my favorite chapter in in the systematic first, it's it's called the way of the way of God's identity, and uh, he says um, in the last paragraph. So also a mystery of suffering, of an interplay between created regularities and evil, must belong to the plot of God's history with us, and to the character of its crisis and fulfillment. One of the last prophets of Israel spoke in God's first person. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. I will refine them as one, refined silver. Then I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Also, such terrible prophecy must somehow become true and good in the last fulfillment. And the identity of God must somehow be told also by it. I, no. I, I think I mean that yeah. gents there I just think getting at the, the mystery of, of of evil and and that and that in the Christian tradition God is not uh, as Dorothy Sayers says you know at least you be, we can be comforted in the incarnation that God takes some um, a share of his own medicine yeah absolutely yeah I've been giving Robert Jensen and Dorothy Sayers the last words can't hardly beat that Thanks, thank you brother friend. take care bye everyone how about that episode of new persuasive words? Thanks so much for joining Scott and Bill. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and will join us next time. Till then, thanks for listening and God bless.